Hey everyone, welcome to the Bio Breakthroughs podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is the co-founder and CEO at Locavent, Rohit Nambi. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to have you here. Let's let's dive right in. Tell the audience a little bit about your background. All right. Uh, well, I'm a neuroscientist by background. I spent about 10 years in academic and clinical research. Um, I will tell you that I'm a big fan of practical ap- applications of science. So academia didn't cut it for me after a while. Um, though I will mention the latter half of my time, there was focus in computational neuroscience, things like computer vision, biomimetic robotics, neural nets, things that are generally within the space of data science and I guess what we call AI these days. Um, so I left uh, academ- academia and I moved to industry. Uh, in the last 16 years, I kind of worked in many, many areas, if not all areas of healthcare verging with technology from uh, life sciences, even personalized medicine side, oncology, global development, and Novartis, oncology commercial, all the way to health IT, developing large software systems to test for meaningful use for organizations like Kaiser and the Geisinger Health Systems. And then um, you can say I found my step more in small startups, always at the cusp and the divergence of data and data science and data analytics um, for one side on life sciences, uh, companies on the commercial and the R&D side, as well as uh, payer and health tech um, side, as well as hospital and healthcare delivery. So I've launched a lot of different uh, startups, different verticals within startups. And then before I launched my own the last uh, three years, I started a company called Locavant. It's a clinical trial intelligence company. And we focus on uh, basically bringing in unparalleled levels of data to be able to be more predictable in clinical trials. And we've been building since January 2020 when we launched, which was a hell of a time to start a startup company. Um, and uh, it's been quite an interesting journey. So that's my uh, background in a nutshell. And talk us through where things are at today for Locavent. Okay. Uh, well, we are unique in a few different ways. One is that uh, I feel like every every startup founder says we're unique, but I'll, I'll go through the reasons as to why I think we're unique. We actually were started within a sponsor. So I was the head of digital within Royvant Sciences. And when I joined Royvant, uh, and for those of you who don't know, Royvant has launched at that point in 2018, had launched about 15, 16 different biotechnology companies. And at the point, we're helping to manage 55 different programs, therapy or agnostic. And one thing we've noted in the last uh, 20 years, I would say, is that the industry of global clinical research and R&D has shifted from blockbuster indications like diabetes type 2 to very niche specialized indications. To extend that analogy, it's more like diabetes type 2 comorbid with chronic kidney disease metformin naive, right? But that being said, all indications are a lot more rare. And at the same time, when you do that, that's a great thing for patients because now we are actually, as a pharmaceutical industry, addressing a lot of very niche uh, conditions where there may not have been great therapeutics for, right? So we're addressing unmet clinical need. But at the same time, the complexity of those trials increases because you need to use so many different types of data sources and so many different types of vendors specialized to the specifics of the, you know, proving that that therapeutic is safe and efficacious for that patient population. And so what we noted at, at Royvant and what I had noted at Novartis when we had shifted to pathways-based medicine as well, when I was on the sponsor side, is 
it's really challenging to understand with all these different data sources, all these different uh, vendors, what's going on with every study in your portfolio from every participant, every site, every country, every region, every, every study in your portfolio from an operational perspective. In some senses, what you could say is science has grown in leaps and bounds. Right? We've been able to address a lot more unmet clinical needs. However, the operations have not kept up at the same rate. So what we decided to do in, uh, in Royvant is to, you know, my team at that point decided we're going to build a platform internally to help support our studies. And so we started doing that. We approached this from a data agnostic perspective, the perspective that you choose whichever data source and vendors make sense for your study because it's very, it, it needs to be highly specialized. And so we will connect and ingest all those data types, bring that together in a normalized canonical data model and understand every day what's going on with every iota of operations in your study. That led to quite a few successes within the Royvan ecosystem. And that's when uh, you know, folks outside of Royvan came calling and said, we want to leverage this, this technology externally. And so we actually spun out in January 2020. That's why I say it's a fairly unique story. It's kind of a lead user innovation approach where we said, we experienced these problems firsthand being inside a sponsor. We addressed them firsthand being inside a sponsor, and then we spun out. So it was a battle-tested platform. Um, once we spun out in January 2020, we started actually, it was a weird time given the pandemic, but in some senses, the pandemic really advanced digital technologies and clinical research, as, as you probably know, and many of your listenership knows. So we spent actually about let's say 18 months in an R&D phase, building out aspects of the platform with incubation capital from Royvant. And then uh, we went to market in late 2021 and 2022 was an incredible year for us in terms of growth. Uh, at the point where the market was turning in 2022, that's when we said uh, we need to double down on the business and actually invest in the growth of Locavant. Weird time to run a fundraise. We got it done in a few months with uh, support from Edison Partners as our lead investor. So at the end of 2022, we're well capitalized. We started growing at a time where most companies have been shrinking. Um, and we are, you know, we're at this point growing quite a bit in terms of deployments of our platform and global clinical research. Um, I think that answers your question in terms of where we are today, but happy to address other questions. Well, staying on the topic of, of today, um, so this works out, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the data challenges that still exist in the clinical trial space. Sure. Um, so, even though in the last 10, 15 years, maybe the data types have weren't as varied, they were still quite varied and increasing in type, right? So one thing I'll note is the Tufts CSDD group, um, which is a group that really focuses on research and clinical trials, has indicated that in, from 2010s to the 2020s, we've seen a tripling in the late phase data points. So, you know, about 1.2 million data points to 3.6 million data points in the last, from 2010 to 2020. That's just volume. That's not even their varieties of data. And from our own research, because we actually capture site level data across global clinical research and use that for predictive an anal analytics and model development, we've noted that we see that this influx growing to about 7x uh, in 2030. So we're not going to see any dearth of the types of the volume of data. On top of that, in the pandemic, we saw a huge influx in novel data capture technologies like DCT or direct data capture, right? To meet patients and participants where they are and to ease site burden. So what we've seen now is just an incredible fragmentation, not only in terms of, you know, there's a lot of volume, but there's a lot of different types of data. Each study almost has at least 
seven different types of data sources, many, many more in many studies. So oftentimes it's really hard to know how to connect those data sources, understand where there's an issue in a study holistically. That's like the first data challenge, data are fragmented. The second one is that insights are fragmented. So if this data sits in all these transactional repositories, never to see the light of day, whether a study has succeeded or failed, it's really hard to gain any information from historical studies as to what might happen in future studies. Now, I mentioned that studies are niche in the future, so how much information can be leveraged? There's still quite a bit of information in terms of country regulation approvals and site startup times, which we, we've done some research indicating that site startup times are incredibly indicative of success for a study. So there's still a lot of information that can be gained from historical studies. And if, if all this data is sitting in transactional repositories, you're never ever able to inform those future studies. And the last piece I'd mention is that it's stakeholder fragmentation. This is a type of data fragmentation, but it's more about the fact that each one of these multiple stakeholders, whether they be pharmaceutical sponsors or CROs or sites, investigators, labs, et cetera, are all making decisions that will impact the time, cost, and quality of the study. And they're doing it based on the best information they have. But if they're not getting a holistic view of what's happening right now across different aspects of the data, they're doing that in a suboptimal manner. And that's going to affect the performance of the study in general. So I think that's the third piece of that's a manifestation of data fragmentation, but it results in suboptimal decision making. So so with this influx of data, this, you know, 3x uh, in terms of data over the last 10 years, um, you know, how is how is Locavant continuing to, to manage that increase in data? Sure. Um, so I think the first piece is that we are um, fully, fully data agnostic in our approach. We've connected with pretty much everything out there at this point. You can name the main known, you know, uh, e-clinical systems, the CTMSs, the EDCs, the ECOAs, the EPROs. I'll, I'll spend at least three hours going through. That's the acronym, so I'll spare you that. But we've connected with pretty much every one of them at this point. We are very quick to connect and just map to them, right? But at the same time, we recognize that global clinical research is very diverse in its technological maturity. So some of our customers, they actually capture their study startup information on Excel trackers and smart sheets. We connected to those. On the other end, we see much more technologically mature groups that are using data lakes and warehouses. We connected with those as well. So we're truly agnostic to wherever that information is. The other piece is we pull this information up to six times a day from the source, right? So that is, you know, when you think about influx uh, of data and the volume of data, it's really important to capture this more frequently and the sampling rate to be quite high, especially when you think about all the remote continuous monitoring that can be leveraged as techn technology continues to improve. And so we want to create a future proofs. Uh, system that allows us to capture not only from that continuous data monitoring, but also that infrequent site-based uh, data capture and be able to draw inferences and uh, insights from the virgins of those types of data as well. So that's, I think, some of the ways we do it. The other thing we do is we render that into something called our clinical data hub, which is basically an, a system that allows the capture of all these disparate types of data, the standardization of that data, and the ability to augment that data with historical studies that we are collecting as well to draw additional inferences. Really interesting. Uh, and, you know, I, I want to continue to stay. I like I like diving into the problems in the space. It gives you an opportunity to to showcase the problems and talk about how you're you're improving upon it. So, uh, thing that it doesn't really matter what industry, every industry, legacy systems have their limitations. 
in the clinical trial space in in terms of um, let, let's talk about the limitations of legacy systems uh, and, sure. and those processes uh, in handling the data from clinical trials. Uh, what does that look like today? And then I guess a part two to that would be, you know, how your approach differs than what's out there today. Sure. I, I think there's three sets that I can uh, describe here, like three swim lanes, so to speak. One are the trial analytics platform, which are the most similar to what Locavent's doing today. Um, that being said, most of the trial analytics platforms out there, they're kind of platforms where you go to a vendor or sorry, go to a sponsor or a CRO and they say, hey, you know, let us run on your study. And as we collect data on the study, we can draw inferences, right? They don't come with pre-built models based on thousands of studies of worth of data. They don't come with data to augment. And so like that has been, I think that is, it can be valuable. And in some senses, I've worked with them in the past when I was a sponsor, but the problem is they're like, when the, the riskiest part of a study typically is the first six months of the study, right? And if you don't have enough study data coming in to identify something as anomalous, right? If you're using statistical outlier detection, for example, it, it, it actually lowers the ability or it makes it very hard to support the most riskiest part of the study. Whereas if you're coming there with models pre-built on therapeutic areas, models pre-built on particular countries or phases, you can identify and many chances we've actually identified in the first 25 days that something is going off and save you know, the, end, the key mortality endpoints of the study in the first month. The second grouping I would say are the groups that actually aggregate data for insight generation. And I think the challenge there is while there's a lot of value in pulling data together from disparate databases and creating a syndicated product, often where the, the real value is, is merging that with your customer's data. For example, if I was gonna to go to Biogen and help them plan their next MS study, I really want to bring in Biogen data because they've been a leader in the space for quite some time. And not having that cross-trial data model to support that enables you only to work off what you have instead of bringing together the best to what your customer has and what you have. And that's an area we've differentiated there. And the last one I would say is the traditional e-clinical solutions, right? Um, traditional e-clinical solutions, EDC, CTMS, et cetera, yeah, they may have captured data specific to their source system. But frankly, they are kind of antithetical to the movement that we're seeing in the market, which is that every study has such particular needs that you want to select this type of EDC or this type of CTMS or this type of EPRO, this type of ECO to match the needs of your study. And so for that reason, it's kind of antithetical to the idea that I will do this analysis across all your data sets as long as you use only my source system, right? So it, it doesn't work as well. You know, frankly, if, if everybody uses metadata across everything, then that's fine. But typically what we found is metadata is one or two of the systems used in the study, not all the systems used in the study. So having that source agnost agnosticity, if you will, um, really enables a differentiator there as well. I like when you answer questions too, I love, this is why I do the video. I, I can see the passion and how excited you get about this space. So when you're, when you're explaining everything, it brings a smile to my face. So I hope everyone, if you're listening, also go watch the video because uh, you get to see the excitement here. So in terms of what's, what's next for the company, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Uh, what, what excites you the most? I'm sure there's a lot of things, but what can you tell us here today? Sure. Um, so when we started out at this company, we really focused on leveraging an unparalleled amount of data. And when I say unparalleled, I mean, you know, obviously the data that we've 
our growing site level proprietary data that we use for analytics, for predictive modeling, et cetera, right? That's about 2000 studies worth of operational trial data right now, but third-party data, um, you know, publicly available as well as commercially licensed data and then um, customer data, right? Basically being truly agnostic, bringing the best information to bear for each study. We wanted to leverage that for study execution, basically from startup all the way to closeout, right? And we've been successful in doing so for the last few years. I think the next hurdle for us where we're looking to leverage this data and other data sources is to move upstream into study planning and the feasibility space and, and basically forecasting what it'll look like for particular studies. As you can imagine, given the specialization, I know I sound like a little bit of a broken record here, but given the specialization in trials, study planning or planning that next study has become extremely challenging. As I mentioned, historical data has some relevance to future studies, but if you're working on indications today where there's very few indications, if any indications similar to that in the past, there's only so much that historical data can be relevant. So you're going to have to bring in healthcare data and understand where patients of a particular prevalence are seeking care, namely real-world data of different forms. So we're starting to look at how do we bring that data in? In fact, we're speaking at DIA specifically about the translation between real world data in the US as well as enrollment, successful enrollment and understanding there's actual significant opportunities to use real world data, not just to qualify and identify sites from a qualitative perspective, but to quantitate how much more, how much more you can get from setting up a site in a particular region based on the real world data that you have, right? So we're, we're starting to see the opportunity to bring in different types of data alongside our data to ex incredibly optimize and accelerate feasibility and study planning in this complex environment. Super, yeah, I love what you're doing. Um, and and you said the, the conference that you were going to, I want to make sure we highlight that coming up was which event? It's DIA, Drug Information Association, in uh, end of June. And we're actually presenting at a, I think, an innovation theater uh, session. We're co-presenting with uh, Purple Lab, which is a real-world data company as well, because we've been able to take their data and look at our data and draw correlations between historical enrollment and the real-world data, where basically where patients are receiving care and what actually results in terms of enrollment for historical studies that we can use as a model to predict future performance of studies. Before, by the way, before I let you go, I always ask one goofy question at the end of shows, okay? So in, in your life, sure. what it, like of all time, what's your favorite movie or TV show? Hmm. Um, I think one of my favorite movies, uh, it, it ranks up there as Harold and Maude. It's a 1960s, mid-60s uh, cult classic. Had a phenomenal score by Cat Stevens. I'm a huge fan of Cat Stevens. Um, and it was just kind of an off-kilter movie for the time, way ahead of its time. It's kind of akin, maybe about 30 years, uh, 40 years maybe, in uh, er earlier to some of the Wes Ander early Wes Anderson movies. Um, so love that movie. I love the music. I'm a professional musician by... by by, uh, you know, on weekends and nights as well. So big fan of big fan of good movies with good soundtracks. I want to thank you again so much for joining me here on the Bio Breakthroughs podcast. Can't wait to have you again uh, in the future and wishing you the best of luck. Thanks, Jared. Happy to be here.